Welcome to Planet Sleep. I'm your host, Josh. And tonight, I'll be taking you on an epic, beautiful, and relaxing journey through Banff National Park in the stunning Canadian Rockies, which offer places to rest, trails to hike, and wildlife aplenty. And the deeper you travel into the dense forest surrounded by endless mountains, the more beautiful it gets. So take a step into the magnificent world of Banff National Park with me. Before we head off on our hike, I wanted to remind you that Planet Sleep is brought to you by my CBD company, Higher Love Wellness. If you've never tried CBD before, CBD comes in a number of different forms and we sell them all. Our CBD products contain no THC, nothing psychoactive. We offer it in a wide variety of different forms, including oils, which can be dropped on the tongue or mixed with your favorite drink, along with delicious gummies, topicals, vapes, which is my personal favorite way, concentrates, and more. CBD has been shown to help calm the nervous system, so I personally use it before I go to sleep. And I gotta say, since I've started using CBD before going to sleep, I feel that I sleep deeper, longer, have way more dreams, and I wake up feeling more refreshed than before. So I'd love it if you'd support my family business at higherlovewellness.com. Give it a try. You may just like it. You can get 10% off with my code PLANETSLEEP at higherlovewellness.com. Let's take a moment, find somewhere to sit or lie down, and prepare our bodies, our minds, and our soul for the journey ahead. It's going to be a spectacular one tonight. Nothing calms the body and the mind like immersing yourself in nature, and that is where we are headed tonight. So let's just take a few moments, close our eyes, take some deep breaths, and just calm ourselves. I'll wait. Feeling better? Me too. Let our journey begin. Between the tall pine trees, where the mountains meet the valley, a large hotel carves out a small section of forest. This building has overlooked the surrounding lands for decades. Railroad workers first plunged through the woods in 1883 and discovered a series of mineral springs across the land. 
It was then that the men of the Canadian Pacific Railway considered constructing a grand hotel in the Canadian Rockies. Ever since the coast-to-coast railway across Canada trekked through the Rockies, the area was never the same. And the men who plowed through saw the future of tourism. The Canadian government created a reserve to protect the springs and surrounding areas in 1885. And the hotel debuted as the Banff Springs Hotel in 1886, which led to the site becoming a national park just one year later. Although the hotel sits so unnaturally among the endless trees and towering mountains, its delicate architecture at least matches the beauty of the surrounding lands. Anything less would be a brutal eyesore. Its white windows sit against red brick, and its peaks are topped with green roofs. From where it sits on the mountainside, any view from the windows is a good view and the walls rest against the low-lying ridges at the base of the mountain. It's been given the nickname Castle in the Rockies, and from a distance it looks like it could have been a real castle. But in the time of medieval men and castle fortifications, this area of Canada was an unexplored haven, untouched by the hands of men for so long. But here... The hands of men have finally left its mark. At least it gives visitors a place to rest. The hotel has served visitors for over a hundred years, with you among them. You pack your gear and head out into the wilderness of the Canadian Rockies. Vast, fresh, and full of life. Its trees sway and breathe in the wind, and you take your first adventurous steps into the realm of the Canadian Rockies. As you hike through the forest, the tall lodgepole pines dominate your surroundings. They tower over you, growing up to 100 feet tall. Their trunks grow almost perfectly straight towards the sky, and their branches carry soft green needles. It's the most common evergreen found in the northern Rocky Mountains, and the Native Americans once used these trees to make their teepees since their trunks are strong, straight, and lightweight. Above the trees, you see a straight clearing through the forest. A series of metal towers carry several gondolas up the mountainside. As you're surrounded by trees, you figure you should get a higher view of your surroundings in order to get a lay of the land. Once inside the gondola, it takes you up the side of Sulphur Mountain. A long stretch of cables carries you toward the peak. And the higher you go, the more you begin to see the land from a bird's eye view. Above the tree line, the cable takes you higher and higher. Before long, you can now see the luscious valley below. The Banff Springs Hotel is now just a blip within the valley of trees guarded by massive mountains. The mountains stretch to the horizon, where their peaks disappear in a white mist of rock, and between them thousands and thousands of trees cover the valley. 
it's almost impossible to see a clearing anywhere in view. The only place where the trees stop is near the far-off town and curling river that snakes through the forest. Carving through the valley, you see traces of bright blue water reflecting the sunlight. Its movement steers through the cluster of trees and mountains. This water is the only thing that seems to have a sense of direction in this endless mountain range. So you figure this river is where you should head next, and you'll let the river be your guide. You finally make it back to Earth. As you exit the gondola, with your feet back on the ground, you head further away from the hotel, passing through the long stretches of forest, the sound of rushing water reaches through the trees. You make your way towards an embankment filled with rocks, and along its edge bright blue water surges across the edge. The blue water turns white further up the stream, where it tumbles over shallow rocks within the riverbed. A small waterfall, only ten feet high, sends a white mist into the air. Each droplet forms a soft pillow of moisture before settling back down into the river. And the water gathers calmly further down the stream. Its water flows around the hidden corners of the forest. Beside the water, trees hug the edges as the river stretches into the invisible distance. And beyond these trees, as far as you can see, tall mountains scrape the sky. The trees cling to the mountains as high as possible until the altitude no longer provides them a livable environment. Green shades turn to gray the higher you look, and occasionally white frost caps the tallest crests. Yet from the peaks, streaks of sediment leave trails down the entire mountainside. These places where water flows from the top to the bottom have left behind light lines of sand and dust. These trails are so tall they look like they reach into the clouds. And when it rains, the water flows along these streaks, down into the river below, and their jagged shapes form a picture-perfect view ahead. A river, a forest, a frame of mountains. You decide to follow the river, as many other travelers have before you. Not only will it lead you through the dense forest, but all life is attracted to water, so your chances of seeing wildlife are much greater here. As you pass along the moving river, normally you could canoe, but you're moving in the opposite direction of its flow, away from civilization and deeper into the wilderness. Not far from the town of Banff, you do catch the first sign of wildlife. You're just beyond the reach of town, but already the animals of nature roam freely here. Large elk dash into the forest when they see you approaching, and you remind yourself to take quieter footsteps. So, you carry on with lighter footsteps, and soon, a series of scattering lakes crop up along the land. These open stretches of water form the Vermilion Lakes. Behind you lie crowded forests along a riverbed, but ahead of you, the world begins to open up through the trees. Three lakes sit among the Bow River Valley, 
Aside from the paddling canoes in the distance, the world is quiet. You fall along the water's edge until you are alone in the wild. Quietly, you make your way deeper into the unknown. It isn't long until you spot something waiting in the shallow waters ahead. A brown figure on all fours gracefully trudges in the water, and two smaller figures follow. From a distance, it looks like a grizzly bear, large, furry, and terrifying up close. The bear is best experienced from far away, especially when she has cubs to defend. So quietly, you crouch down in the brush and take in the scene. The bear looks like it weighs almost 400 pounds and could stand up to six and a half feet tall. Its fur is a light brown around its head and body, but it gets darker around the legs. A muscular hum can be seen near its shoulders, giving her a very powerful look. And her short round ears perk up from her head. She is always on alert. She's able to run and reach speeds at over 30 miles an hour, climb trees, and attack anything that disturbs her with four-inch claws that stretch out from her massive paws. Luckily for you, she is calm now. She casually walks through the shallow water with her two cubs behind her as they look for fish to eat. They also eat pine nuts, grasses, moss, and rodents and their diets are rich here in the Rockies. They eat as much as they can because they hibernate for five to seven months each year. They also construct a den in the forest, which you assume is well hidden and out of eyesight. Somehow, in this valley, grizzlies and humans seem to exist so close to each other. You're barely half a mile from the town of Banff, and yet you feel like you're almost fully immersed in nature. If it wasn't for the occasional honk of a horn from the nearby highway, you could be fooled into thinking you're deep into the Canadian wilderness. The grizzlies tend to wander into town and rife through dumpsters for food. In some areas of North America, it's rare to see a grizzly. But here, people see them crossing the road, climbing neighborhood trees and rummaging through backyards. Here in the valley, the people had to learn how to live in harmony with the wildlife. And one of the first things they did was control their food waste so the bears couldn't access their containers. Highway fencing has also been built to protect them from getting hit by cars. And major wildlife crossing structures have been constructed over the highway so animals can safely cross through the forest. These massive bridges curve over the roads, filled with natural dirt and foliage. Since their construction, wildlife collision fatalities have decreased by 80%, and the wildlife has used the crossing structures over 100,000 times. Locals have learned how to coexist rather than trying to force the wildlife out. There's only so much land here in the valley for wildlife to exist, so it's best to share it with Mother Nature. As the grizzly moves through the lake, ripples of water follow in her wake. You move quietly through the trees and carry on with your journey, 
but you make sure to keep enough distance between you and the great grizzly bear. There's nothing wrong with experiencing Mother Nature from a safe distance. You follow the series of lakes, three in all. Each one gives you a new view of the forests and mountainsides. Each one is familiar yet different. And although they all harbor the same list of trees, waters, and mountains, each gives its own sense of beauty. The charm of each site hides within the small details. From here, the mountains start in a different direction, and the water moves along the lakeshore. Shadows cast along the dark side of the forest, and the sun towers over everything. And just as you finish your journey through the Vermilion Lakes, you're reminded of this land's history. Whose land was this? What land was this hundreds of years ago, before highways and wilderness crossings? Before the distant roads, towns, and hotels cropped up, this was once a place free of tourism and industry. Its human history spans centuries, and between the trees and mountains, the first traces of human activity goes back nearly 10,000 years. This was once the home to many indigenous peoples of North America. They had used this land to hunt, trade, travel, and practice their culture and many of the names given to places in the area are known by their indigenous names. As this national park became Canada's first ever national park in the late 1800s, the indigenous people were forcefully removed between the years 1850 and 1920. The park was designed for sports and tourists as golf courses and hotels took over the region, and soon coal mining purged the mountainside for decades. During both world wars, internment camps were set up in the area, casting a dark shadow across the region. Luckily, the darkest stretches of history are hopefully in the past, although traces of it still remain. You realize that the more you immerse yourself in the expanse of nature, the more you connect to the land surrounding you on a primal level. The further from civilization, the better, and deeper and deeper into the wilderness you go. The noise from the highway fades and the light rain begins to blanket your surroundings. The droplets are cool on your skin, and the gentle noise of the rain meeting the lake water relaxes you. Again, you find the direction of Bow River. Its water bends and curves through the valley. The distant call of an elk echoes between the mountains and you welcome the sounds of nature. You follow the river for miles and lose track of time. On your long journey, you pass by fallen tree trunks that dam the river. The water dodges each obstacle and continues onward. Patches of white rocks appear between the green foliage and they hug the inner turns of the river. Thick sprouts of reeds grow along its banks, giving the river its name. The first nations of indigenous people had used these reeds to make bows, so the river was called.
called the Bow River. Long before European settlers arrived to the area, First Nations used this river to travel through the valley and hunt buffalo. In Blackfoot language, the name for this river is Makabun, meaning river where bow reeds grow. Other use this river for fishing when buffalo are hard to come by. Even today, as you follow the riverbank, you pass a fly fisherman. He wears a pair of rubber waders as he whips his line back and forth in the air. The sun catches his line and you watch it dance above him. After moving it back and forth, he casts it into the water and the hook plunges into the riverbed and the fisherman silently waits. As you continue on, you watch him waiting for a catch. But as the minutes pass, nothing bites. But that's all right. Sometimes the pleasure of fishing is making a great cast and absorbing the ambience of mother nature. The dragonflies hum along the water and the birds chirp in the trees. And you carry on beside the river. Perched on a branch above you, a black and white bird stretches out its head and lets out a song. It stands out among the summer colors of the blue sky and green foliage. The bird's coat of feathers is much better suited for winter, but its time will come. This gentle bird is known as Clark's Nutcracker. On the Lewis and Clark expedition, it was first observed in 1805. Its feathers are black and its body is white. Tiny black marbles make up its eyes and a small black beak points out from its head. The bird is not even a foot tall, but this tiny creature has become a crucial part of the ecosystem here in the Canadian Rockies. They seek out all the white pines in the valley and you watch as the bird moves toward the pine cones at the edge of the branch. Carefully, he uses his pointed beak to break the pine cone open. He digs around and removes the tiny seeds within the cone and eats them. In the fall, he'll hide the seeds beneath the soil so you'll have a reliable source of food throughout the winter. A single bird can bury thousands of seeds each fall. Since the pine cones can't open on their own and spread their seeds, they rely on these birds for survival. Almost half of these buried seeds are forgotten by the birds, and they'll grow into a tall white bark pine tree if the conditions are right. Almost half of all these buried seeds are forgotten by the birds, and they'll grow into tall white bark pine trees if the conditions are right. So the bird relies on the trees for food, and the trees rely on the birds to plant their seeds. Together in the Rockies, they survive. These pines cover the sloping valley, and in the distance, new mountains stand tall. With each new bend in the river, a new mountain lay just ahead. Each different peak reflects off the surface of the water, and each mountain range appears upside down in the clear reflection below. Ripples and stones break up the reflections, and the strong fish swim within the clear waters. Eventually, you notice more hikers along the pathway besides the river. 
and the river begins to widen with round stones appearing along shallow banks. And from the river pathway there lies a fork ahead of you. You feel you've seen enough of Bow River, and it's time to journey through a narrow path of tall pines and get lost in the dense forest. Soon, the mountains disappear, and pine tree branches and needles capture you along a small pathway. The sun begins to sink between the trees as evening approaches, and as you cross several roads and pass several hiking markers, you head deeper into the infinite forest. You find yourself utterly alone in nature, like the creature watching you from afar, stalking you. A wolf watches your every move. From here, it's neither friend nor foe, and you'd much rather keep it that way. It watches you with tense yellow eyes. Its pupils shrink in the sunlight of dusk as it closely watches your every step. The wolf is silent, lonely and patient. You might never see him, but he sees you. From a distance, he might look like a German shepherd with his dark brown coat but he has longer legs and larger feet, perfect for traveling the clustered forest. For a long time, wolves had abandoned this park, but they've since returned in small numbers. The species was listed as endangered in 1978. In the early days before European expansion into North America, the wolves lived alongside the indigenous people. They roamed the forest near local tribes who consider the great wolf to be a sacred animal. But as European settlements spread into the 19th century, ranchers began killing off the wolves since they attacked their cattle, and by the next century they tried to eradicate the species entirely. But through the decades, the wolves survived in small numbers. Thankfully, A wolf recovery plan was established in 1978, and their numbers have slowly returned. Only a few dozen of them roam the land of Banff National Park, and only one wolf pack is known to live in the valley where you hike. The wolf that watches you is a member of the solitary pack, but he travels alone at dusk. He watches you with a quiet curiosity. He has no interest in eating you since his stomach is full from the elk he hunted the night before. He only watches you for his own safety, and after you pass through his bit of territory, he wanders off, returning to his pack. You never even knew he was there, watching you. But if you're lucky, you'll hear his graceful howling after the sun sets. Continuing through the thick trees, your path has become narrow, but the density of this forest will eventually pay off. You know it only takes another water source to open up the endless rows of pine trees, and soon enough, your pathway meets a road, and this road leads to a large clearing ahead. Breaking out of the dense forest, groups of people meet at the side of a massive lake. This beautiful body of water is Lake Louise. A clear, warm day blesses you at the bank of this lake. 
The light rain has passed and the skies have opened up to a bright blue canvas. Small streaks of white clouds fade behind the mountain range. Frost caps the mountain peaks. And down the mountainside they turn gray before meeting the tree line. The tree-covered ground slopes towards the lake where crystal blue waters shine beneath the sunlight. Thousands of rocks scatter beneath the crystal water and they meet you along the lake's edge. You reach your hand into the water and it's nearly freezing. Even on the warmest day, the water remains cold and refreshing. In the shallow end of the lake, you see small fish chasing each other and dashing towards the center. As you make your way around the lake and up into the higher hiking trails, you spot small creeks of melting snow. Their water melts from the mountains, cascades into the lake, filling it with icy water. This entire lake was formed by a massive glacier carving away the earth's crust while it moved across the land. You find several hiking trails nearby. Each one takes you higher and higher up the mountain. The higher you go, the steeper the climb, and the steeper the climb, the harder your heart beats. You take several breaks along the way. Drink from the fresh water melting into the mountain creeks. Each drink you take rejuvenates you and gives you the next bit of strength to continue up the steep hiking trail. Tree roots cover the ground, and the view of the lake fades away. You're now surrounded by trees and mountains now. Huge boulders add color to the trail, and wild roses grow in sunny patches. Climbing through a wooded area of the mountainside, the ground eventually becomes frosty with patches of snow and your feet crunch in the small pockets of white frost. You pass by a small tea house where other hikers sip their steamy drinks. You have no time to stop if you're going to make it up the mountain by nightfall. So you continue on. Deeper into the trail, you hear the strange call of a pika. It's a small mountain-dwelling mammal. It looks like a miniature rabbit with tiny round ears. He carries a purple wildflower in his mouth and he decides to join you on your journey. Turning along several more pathways, the pika falls not far behind. You see how high you've traveled as you look out between the trees. The nearby mountains aren't as tall as they once were, and now you're nearly 2,500 feet above the lake, but you still can't see its waters. Not until you round several more turns do you finally reach your destination the end of Beehive Trail. Although there aren't any bees here as far as you can tell. As you come up to the end of the trail, the beautiful vista opens up below you. At the edge of the cliff, you see the crystal blue waters of Lake Louise below. It looks like a magical crystal carved into the land, surrounded by dark evergreens and slanting mountains. You sit down at the trail's edge and take in the view. The pika joins you on your lap. Up in the distant sky, small clouds hover above the tall mountains. Silhouettes of birds fly across the mountaintop, and the snow flickers in the sunlight. 
as it scatters into the air. The sun begins to set behind you, and the giant shadow of the mountain starts to cover the lake below. Inch by inch, you breathe in the cool, crisp air. Heavy, deep breaths in and out. Your heartbeat begins to settle. Your long day of travel is behind you now, and with each breath you relax each muscle from head to toe, your neck, your shoulders, your jaw. Each muscle releases its tension as a feeling of gravity holds you to the planet. It shines beneath the last bit of fading light, and the early howl of a wolf echoes through the nearby forest. That concludes our hike into the Banff National Park for tonight. I hope you found this episode of Planet Sleep restful and relaxing. I know I sure did. By the end of recording these episodes, I often find myself starting to slip into a deep slumber. So much so I have to sometimes catch myself before I fall completely asleep. I hope Plan Asleep does the same for you. If it does, I'd love it if you left me a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And make sure you're subscribed on YouTube. I put a lot of work into these episodes, and I hope it shows. But that's it for this episode of Plan Asleep. I hope you find the rest and peace you're looking for. But I'll see you next time on our next journey to planet sleep. And until then, sleep easy, my friend.